You're a 415er. 415 You're all about your San Francisco 49ers. And this is where you need to be for news, analysis, and, and, and more. And more. Welcome to the 415 hosted by Evan Gidding and Mark Grandy. What is going on, everyone? 415ers. Yes, indeed. Back again. First of, well, now many episodes involving the San Francisco 49ers included in the playoffs, Mark, because after a 21-13 win tonight at Lumen Field in Seattle, the 49ers lock up the NFC West title, their first since 2019, a massive win for the team. Obviously, now a chance in the dance in the playoffs is what you're working for all year. What are you feeling right now, Mark? Uh, I'm kind of in disbelief, Evan, because you can rewind two months. This team was three and four. There were questions about their quarterback, questions about their running back, questions everywhere. Since then, split between two different quarterbacks with the Christian McCaffrey trade smack dab. I mean, not in the middle, but close to the to the beginning uh, of that. I mean, before that run. Uh, and this team is suddenly NFC West champions. They've won in Seattle for just the second time in over a decade. By the way, both times that they've won in Seattle in that stretch has been to clinch the NFC West. So I guess the uh, the solution to the Niners Seattle woes is just put a, an NFC West title on the line and, and then maybe they'll get the job done. Uh, but a little bit of disbelief, Evan, because I've just been thinking back to where this team came from. And of course, there's still a ton to accomplish this year. This was kind of you know, check mark number one, win the division, try to get a, you know, a top seed in the NFC, try to win some playoff games and who knows what can happen after that. Um, but a, a fantastic win for the 49ers and uh, hopefully for the team, this is uh, the beginning of, you know, as you mentioned, a long postseason run. They certainly look like they could be gearing up for that. Yeah. And that, that was the first thing that really stood out to me tonight is, this is going to be a damn hard team to beat. Like quarterbacks aside, injuries aside, uh, they just simply do not wilt. I mean, even the mistakes we saw tonight, Mark, a few of which they did commit, it didn't really seem like it mattered because they don't really compound mistakes. And we'll get into the specifics of the game as we move along here. Appreciate everyone tuning in. Feel free to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. But this team is, look, they were three and four. I know they technically had McCaffrey, I guess, for that last loss of the the seven-game start. But since then, they have gone on an absolute tear. I mean, seven games in a row in which this defense has locked in almost unbelievably. I mean, I know Seattle scored 13 points tonight, but it felt like that was a really, really difficult 13 points that they edged out. Across this seven-game win streak, the most points that they have allowed is 17 to Miami Dolphins team that has been one of the better offenses in football, at least prior to that game. I mean, they have not allowed much in the second half. Uh, it, it seemed weird to see a team score a touchdown in the second half against them tonight in, in Seattle. Um, but Mark, this is a team right now that seems to be playing its best football. And each of the last three weeks now, I would say, even four going back to New Orleans, they have played consecutively more difficult teams and teams that offer sort of different styles and ways to attack you. And they've pretty much handled all of them with ease. So I know there's obviously, look, they haven't faced the cream of the crop in the NFC yet. That will hopefully be somewhere deep in the playoffs. But right now, if you're around the rest of the league and you're a team that has hopes at you know trying to come out of the NFC, you're all looking at San Francisco like, man, I like, I am not sure if we can beat those guys. Yeah, and even with a rookie quarterback, you know, at the helm, you you saw this time, and it, it wasn't an incredible Brock Purdy game by any stretch of the imagination. But when you consider the fact that he is a rookie quarterback making his first career road start. You had to come away impressed. 17 to 26, 217 yards, two touchdowns, did not turn the ball over, had a really important third down conversion with his legs that helped seal the game. There was one more first down, a big run by Jordan Mason at the very end where he almost got into the end zone from what almost 60 yards out. That was the final nail in the coffin for Seattle. But that third down late conversion by Brock Purdy with his legs, um, you know, kind of was, you know, the seal, sell. Sealed the deal for the 49ers yeah, no in, in that in that win. Um, so I, I think if you're you know an opponent, potentially a postseason opponent for the 49ers down the road, 
you're looking at this game, watching this game specifically. How does Brock Purdy handle a road postseason-like environment? Because we hadn't seen that yet. And to your point, I think what they saw probably discouraged them. Because, again, he wasn't fantastic. He's not going to be Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen. Of course not. No one is expecting that. But he seemed poised, calm, confident. There were a few wayward throws, probably more in this game than we've seen in either of his you know, previous two games, his one other start, and then three-plus quarters when Jimmy Garoppolo went down with, with his injury. Um, but he played good enough to win a game on the road against a quality football team and you know, he didn't make the backbreaking mistake that Niner quarterbacks have sometimes made in the past. So all in all, Brock Purdy, kind of another check mark off his to-do list because he proved he can play well enough to win a game on the road in perhaps the most hostile environment in the NFL. So um, a good, good piece of news there for the 49ers. Not only did they get the win, but they probably learned a little bit about their quarterback as well. Yeah, I agree. And and that to me is what also makes this team just like I, it's hard for me to really even figure out how good they are because they see when a player like Brock Purdy tonight, I don't think he played as even though his numbers might show he did, you know, didn't play as well as he did last week against Tampa or even the week before against Miami. But whenever a player on this 49ers team seems to take a step back, there's another player that takes a step forward. Like they play such complimentary football in a way that like that they are able to sustain a down game from even their quarterback or a running back or a wideout or on the defensive side of the football, a cornerback, you know, even a guy like Nick Bosa making a roughing the passer penalty. He was still able to have really a dominant performance tonight in which he gets to the quarterback so often that you can you can live with the flag. He, of course, picked up his 15th and a half sack tonight. The Niners as a team had three like they come at you from so many different ways that even when one piece of, of the Jenga tower gets pulled out, like they still are stood up at seemingly all positions. So that that's what made this win even more impressive to me, Mark, is the fact that like it, it was kind of the first game that you were waiting for a rookie quarterback on the road, tough environment, had a little bit of the oblique injury, wasn't 100%, going up against a Seattle team that, as 49ers fans are very aware of, is a tough place to play, a tough place to win, more importantly. I think they were 1-10 in 10 in their last 11 games up in Seattle. So it does not happen often. And Brock Purdy, along with the rest of that running game led by Christian McCaffrey, the defense really led by, I thought, Dre Greenlaw, uh, even your guy, Diamador Lenore had a pretty good night on the outside. <laughs> had a pick um, six taken back, Evan. That he did. That he did. But the defense as a whole, it it didn't matter. Like, they, they put up a graphic late in the game about Seattle scoring their first offensive touchdown of the season <laughs> against the Niners because, of course, they didn't score an offensive touchdown back in week two. But it really just puts in a picture. I didn't even think at times the defense was playing extremely well. And yet, you look up at the end of each drive, Seattle's punting it away. First half, three three and outs. Uh, second half, they're struggling to move the ball down the field. It takes the last you know drive for them to try and create some random magic. Like This is a team in the 49ers that has so much momentum and so much confidence that it, it's hard for me to see that. And I, look, I picked them to lose this game against Seattle. I don't know if I'll be able to pick against them the rest of the season that's how impressed I was by this team. Yeah, so, I mean, let's let's take a look at this. So the Niners were up by two scores for much of the game. What was it? 21-6, to six, really, for a lot of that second half. After the really long uh, George Kittle touchdown, it, it kind of stayed that way for much of the game. Seattle just getting field goals throughout much of the game. And then the Seahawks go down, and eventually Noah Fant gets into the end zone wide open. That was the one Niner breakdown defensively really all game long. That drive specifically, there were a few chunk plays. And in the past, that that touchdown, let me double-check here on the notes, that touchdown drive happens, it ends with what, a couple minutes left on the clock, three and a half minutes left on the clock. So plenty of time for them to go out and get a defensive stop and then come back and get the football. How many times watching this 49er football team in the past, you probably felt this. I know I was feeling it. I'm sure a lot of other Niner fans were feeling this. How many times have the Niners seemingly dominated controlled football games because of their defense? A number of games last year come to mind. 
some games early this season. I, I remember specifically the, the Denver Bronco game where the offense simply couldn't do anything. But how many times do you feel the Niners dominating football games? They're up by multiple scores. Suddenly the opponent late in the fourth quarter goes down and gets a score. And all of a sudden things tighten up and you're worried. Can the offense get one first down, maybe two first downs and ice this game? And what has happened in the past sometimes is the offense can't get it done. They go three and out. The opponents get the ball right back. They go down and score, tie, force overtime, win, whatever the situation is. That has happened in the past with multiple different quarterbacks at the helm for the 49ers. It did not happen this time. I know it. It wasn't all Brock Purdy. He didn't deliver an incredible throw under pressure to a perfect, perfectly extended Brandon Ayuk. It was on the ground with Christian McCaffrey and Jordan Mason and Purdy himself. But to be able to go out in that situation, Evan, up by a score, knowing you need to at least possess the ball for a couple of minutes and ice a game, win the NFC West against your your rivals from the North on their field, the place that has been a house of horrors for your organization for years and to get it done. I mean, for lack of a better term, I apologize. That takes balls, Evan. It really does. And Brock Purdy showed it in this game. He was dealing with an oblique injury. I know Adam Schefter tweeted out. There were Niners people texting him throughout the game after the game saying, I'm not sure Brock Purdy's going to get through this one. He's in a lot of pain. He, he made it through it and he had a, a gigantic third-down conversion with his legs. Again, he wasn't fantastic. He's not going to blow you away with the numbers, but he checked off a lot of, of major boxes for me in this game. Just dealing with this atmosphere, uh, huge, huge for the 49ers. I, I'm, I'm with you, and I do want to get into Brock Purdy. Um, I, I think that with Brock's performance tonight, like – I don't know if that performance for him individually is good enough to win a road playoff game. If he, you know, if he plays that way, I expect him to play better, but the toughness that he showed is something that you need no matter what situation you're in. That's where I'm with you. Like there was a, a sense of, of grittiness and grinding out clearly a, a game in which he was not either a hundred percent physically or did not play to his potential. He did not have a great game. And yet the team, Largely, I felt like dominated this game. I mean, they go up 21 three, um, you know, right out of the third quarter. They they get basically, you know, what Kyle Shanahan dreams of, which is an opportunity first front end of the first half and then or front end of the first half, pardon me, and then to begin the second half as well. Um, And and, and I do want to say this, Mark, because I, I know that like I personally have come down his road a little bit. I think some people have sort of question Kyle Shanahan at different turns throughout this season. But, and he's still pretty young, wildly enough, as a head coach. This has been his best head coaching job. And I don't know if it's been close. With everything that he has undergone, like I I know you could make maybe a case that 2020 should have been a season that, you know, you're supposed to bounce back after making the Super Bowl and get to a different level, but injuries cost you that. Uh, 2021 last year, it feels similar in a sense of they start three and five. They go on this run this year. They start three and four. They win their, their next seven, except you didn't have to go through not one, yeah, not two, but three starting quarterbacks. And for Kyle Shanahan also to have the dual duties as a general manager to be able to go out and make personnel decisions like bringing in Christian McCaffrey, like cashing in your chips middle of the way to try and get that playmaker who he saw tonight touch the ball. 30 plus times who was mm-hmm. unbelievable like that is the credit that Kyle Shanahan gets for helping this team not only come back out of a, a pit of despair in which a lot of people were kind of putting this team in midway through the year but then dr- being the driving force in many ways to why this offense has been elevated both on and off the field and why they are now 10 and 4 having won their first division title since 2019 tip of the cap to Kyle Shanahan it's a really good point. I mean, if, if this was a normal year where there wasn't kind of an upstart Eagles team with one loss, I mean, Kyle Shanahan would, would probably be the the lock for coach of the year at this point. Not necessarily because of what the Niners are doing, you know, if you rewound to the beginning of the season, not because this is all that surprising. I think, you, you know, there were probably a decent amount of people saying the Niners could get to double-digit wins. Um, but just uh, like to your point, how it happened with all the injuries specifically to the quarterback position, it certainly elevates 
um, what he did. You you brought up a, a key moment in the game, kind of the, the late first half, early second half double dip. That was obviously a key moment, but it was before that I thought that turned this game around. If you remember late in the first half, Niners had the ball, I think, around midfield, and it was Brock Purdy's worst throw of the night. Put it right between the numbers, but to Seattle's Quandre Diggs on a pass over the middle. I think he was looking for Brandon Ayuk, uh, and he just simply didn't see Quandre Diggs kind of playing center field. Diggs drops what would have been the easiest interception of his career. Niners catch a huge break. They eventually punt. You know, they, they pin Seattle back. And then what happens on that drive for the Seahawks, a nice little dump off to, to Travis Homer, the running back, and the Niners, led by Dre Greenlaw, pop the ball free. It's, it's scooped up. The Niners take it all the way down and, and almost score on that one. It ultimately becomes a Christian McCaffrey touchdown, and that is the score to close the first half. And then, of course, they score in that large Kittle play to open the second half. So the Niners caught a bit of a break. It was that that Diggs dropped interception. It was Brock Purdy's worst throw probably as a pro. You got to get lucky in games like this on the road in Seattle. The Niners did on, on that opportunity. But what really um, stands out is they, they then take advantage of that mistake. The game could have really, really turned uh, because even without that interception, the Seahawks suddenly kind of are feeling amped up feeling good about themselves. They force that punt. They get the ball back. And then Dre Greenlaw steps in. You shouted him out early. He was really good once again. Uh, and and they ultimately turn it into a, a quick 14 points spanning the two halves. So that was my my key moment in this football game right there. Yeah, no, that's absolutely a good one. Want to ab- uh, want to remind everyone to download, rate, and subscribe to the 415ers podcast Coming at you three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network. Obviously, this has been a fun season to begin the podcast, Mark. And I appreciate you joining me on this journey. As Look, I mean, we, we've had certainly some difficult episodes, but tonight is one that is is not. Like, it, it, it's got to be fun. It's got to be a party because the 49ers are back in the playoffs, a place that I'm sure they expected to be. I mean, I know I expected them to be there. I'm sure you did, too. But after the first seven weeks, it was kind of looking like, well, you know, they're not too far out of the NFC West. Seattle's playing pretty well, but you never really know the way that this thing is is all rolling. And, you know, to go from Trey Lance, then week two to Jimmy Garoppolo, and then you move on to Brock Purdy two weeks ago, it's kind of hard to put into perspective just how wild of a season this has been. Um, As far as Brock Purdy's performance tonight, though, I mean, we we t- we kind of touched on at least I I thought his his confidence was just um, it was palpable. Like I, I know he wasn't that great, and in fact, the the oh no throw that you that you were talking about earlier that you know may or may not have been um, intercepted if not due to a, to a flag. You know, I, I there were some throws before that I thought were off. Uh, you know, and to begin the second quarter, there was a couple of of throws. There's one like in the flat. It was really when Seattle started to kind of dial up the blitz, yeah. but he completely missed Christian McCaffrey in the flat on one followed it up by throwing a ball short to Brandon. Ayuk. I thought that we saw Brandon Brock Purdy's uh, arm strength or, or lack thereof show up a little bit tonight against Seattle. So that'll be something to note, but I, I, I can't say the moment was too big for a rookie seventh rounder or not. Like I, I can't say that the lights were too bright at Lumen field and that Seattle was a team that, that got in his head. Like he, he maybe didn't play as well as he did each of his first two weeks as as the quarterback, but I mean, Mark, he like he he gave me enough confidence in him that like even if he made that interception and even if Seattle had gone down and scored, I believe Brock Purdy would have came out the next drive as the exact same dude as he was before he threw the pick. Like that that's kind of where I see him as be, being maybe a little bit different than both Trey and Jimmy. Jimmy's gritty. Trey, unfortunately, we haven't got to see as much. But for me, Brock Purdy has already kind of put himself in a different category when it comes to composure. I guess it's required of someone to be successful in this league. Yeah, no, I'm with you. And I think, you know, to that point, there were two huge third down conversions for the 49ers in the second half. The first was a third and 15, about five minutes left in the third quarter. Niners up 21 to six. This one was less about Purdy and and more about Ray Ray McLeod and maybe even more about the Seattle defense. Third and 15, Seattle brings pressure. 
Brock Purdy, just a simple little drop-off to Ray-Ray McLeod over the middle. McLeod runs to the left boundary and barely gets the first down to convert uh, a third and long. They ultimately don't end up scoring on that drive, but just to you know give your punting unit some more room, you, you pin Seattle back eventually. That was a huge conversion. Again, not as much on Brock Purdy, but just being able to get the ball away, impressive enough against a blitz. Maybe the single most impressive throw, in my opinion, Evan, and there were some good ones to choose from. Third and seven from your own four-yard line. You're up 21-6, to six, about 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. This was, I think, the play of the game uh, for Brock Purdy because if you don't convert, you're punting from your own end zone, you're up two scores, Seattle's going to get the ball probably around midfield, even if it's just a uh, not much of a punt return. They go down and score. Suddenly there's still 10 minutes left and you're only up by seven points. The The Lumen Field crowd is, is suddenly feeling themselves and who knows where the game moves from there. But no, Brock Purdy stepped up, third and seven conversion to guess who? Third and Juwan, who regardless of who's throwing the football, he is the third down target. He had a couple of third down conversions in this one. Uh, that was a huge play in another moment, Evan, where we saw Brock Purdy look poised beyond his years third and seven conversion from your own four yard line with Seattle fans basically breathing down your neck from behind and that that small part of the field back there and you get a conversion you give your again your punting team some room you waste some more clock and ultimately you win the game large part because of that conversion huge 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 conversion for Purdy and the and Jennings at that moment yeah and Jawan Jennings look that's the type of route where as a receiver, like they talk about it all the time, like you know you're going to go have to, you're going to, you're going to go have to go over the middle, and you're going to have to take a lick. And Brock Purdy is basically that was a good throw, but he's putting a hospital ball in Juwan Jennings' hands. Like he knows <laughs> that he is going to get blown up by either that inside linebacker or safety that's coming down because they know exactly what the first down marker is. They know that Juwan Jennings is a guy that. You know, yeah, sure. Maybe he's not. He doesn't have the route running ability of Ayuk. He doesn't have the physicality of Debo, but he is a go-to target for this team. Like they are trying to dislodge the football, knowing that he's probably going to catch it. So that's a huge play. Uh, Kyle Shanahan talking to the media right now, talking about Brock Purdy. "Quote: He's definitely the most poised rookie I have ever had. Hmm. He was poised all week, even being unsure if he'd be able to go." Didn't have any options or choices. Purdy got comfortable and better as the game went. It was pretty unbelievable. I think that's what a lot of fans were thinking watching the game, Mark. Have we ever heard Kyle Shanahan say things like that about his quarterback? Ever? I mean, he's, he's I don't been think so. complimentary, but it, it, it's never seemed like it's been at that level. I don't know. It's It's wild. No, he definitely doesn't bow down to... I mean, honestly, he doesn't really talk about a lot of players like that. I, I mean, outside of the quarterback, uh, I know that maybe players don't get as much praise. But yeah. no, he does not talk... I, I don't remember him uh, in Atlanta talking about Matt Ryan and the few press opportunities that he got as as the OC, talking about his MVP like that. I know Matt Ryan was a veteran quarterback. Um, but it, it's an interesting interesting note. And look, it it just goes to show how unbelievable and how randomly pleasantly surprising Brock Purdy has been this year. I mean, and, and, and I don't know too. like, I also think the the entire um, poise conversation to me is something that does apply to each and every member of the 49ers. Like you, you just see it even on defense and, and that, you know, it's from D'Amico Ryans who also, uh, as, as you've said multiple times throughout this podcast is he's not going to be with the 49ers next year. No, he he's going to get a head coaching job if he wants it. True. which I would assume, assume that he does. Um, but everyone on this team has has this sort of next play mentality. I mean, even a guy like, you know, Talano Hufanga, who has been burnt a couple of times in recent weeks on big play scores, um, he came up for some big hits. He, he forced a fumble earlier in the game uh, with a big hit on Geno Smith. I mean, Samson Ebukam, who I know went down late with, with what looked like an injury, it was getting to the quarterback. Like, there's just so many different dudes that step up, including Mark. The midseason acquisition that has honestly been the catalyst for the entire offense. And while I, yes, I did admit 
Victory pick, lap it. I, well, I picked Seattle to win this game, so I can't completely oh. take a victory lap. <laughs> but I did legitimately believe that Christian McCaffrey was going to get a workhorse-type load, 25 carries minimum on the ground. He ends up with 26 touches on the ground, six catches, 138 yards and a touchdown. Um, but even watching it, Mark, like I was, I was kind of wowed. I, I didn't know he had that in him. I just simply thought that due to the situation with Debo being out, rookie quarterback, first game on the road, Seattle division game, a lot on the line, that Kyle Shanahan was going to trust his veteran. But even, I mean, even that was impressive. Yeah, 32 total touches, 138 yards, 108 of them were on the ground on 26 carries and, of course, had that touchdown late in the first half. Uh, He was incredible and even when he wasn't getting the ball, Evan, he's still having a gigantic impact on the play. The Niners' other two touchdowns, they scored three touchdowns in this game, one by McCaffrey. The other two went to George Kittle, and Christian McCaffrey was directly involved in both. Uh, first score of the game, it was. We, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't talked about this play yet. Maybe one of the maybe the best play design of Kyle Shanahan's career to this point. Uh, Ray Ray McLeod in motion. The Niners are in a shotgun from right to left. McLeod runs behind Brock Purdy with McCaffrey on his right hip. Purdy takes the snap, a little fake to the left to McLeod in motion, then quickly turns to the right, a fake to McCaffrey out in the flat. You have first everyone on the defense jumping to McLeod, then jumping to McCaffrey. All the while, George Kittle is sprinting down the middle of the field, wide open after the second pump fake. Uh, Purdy hits the easy throw to Kittle, who runs all the way into the end zone for a touchdown. Niners on the board. They take a lead early. Then early in the third quarter, uh, not not a same, not the same play by any stretch of the imagination. Kittle's lined up on the left side of the offensive line, and all that happens is the Niners run Christian McCaffrey out to the left flat. The Seattle defense so worried about Christian McCaffrey, who had been gashing them all game long. They jump. You, you can see like three defenders run with McCaffrey one of whom maybe two of whom are supposed to be guarding George Kittle who just runs past them then the left seam Purdy hits him he makes a couple guys miss and he's into the end zone for a touchdown so to your point workman like they for McCaffrey 32 total touches 138 total yards and a touchdown but he was directly involved in all three Niners scores he is an elite weapon one of the best if not the best weapon in the NFL and uh, he certainly showed why in this one. And, and Shanahan was not shy using him and as he needed to. Because without Debo Samuel, he needed to give someone the ball 26 times on the ground, and it was McCaffrey. Yeah, he wasn't shy using him as a decoy either. Look, and this is this is where I think Kyle Shanahan's brilliance sort of comes into play. I mean, sure, he, look, he, he dialed up some creative plays. You, you laid out, obviously, the 28-yard touchdown from Purdy to Kittle to start things. Um, they come right out of the gates in the second half with another bomb to kill, but it's how he sets up everything. I mean, it's like, it's like a pitcher that continues to pepper the outside corner, soft, 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 and then hammers 95 miles per hour on your knuckles. Like Mark, that, that first touchdown to Kittle was so wide open. Oh my God. And, and Christian McCaffrey drew so much attention because he's, he got the ball nine of the first 12 plays of the game. (laughs) Like Kyle Shanahan told Seattle, hey, we're going to run 23 down your throat until you at least give us an opening to try and do something else, which then turned into George Kittle cakewalking 30 yards down the field in for a score. Like it's, it's, it's what Christian McCaffrey obviously does as far as his production, 140 yards and a touchdown is nothing to scoff at, but it's what else he opens up the gravity of everything that he brings to the table. That to me is why he would be considered the best playmaker in football, maybe the best running back. I know he kind of does everything else as well, including block, which we saw a couple of times tonight, but that's also why we saw Kyle Shanahan, I think not go to Jordan Mason until 746 in the third quarter is because Christian McCaffrey has been in these situations before. He's been in the trenches. He is a veteran with so much experience and so much understanding of where he needs to be, how he's going to be used, and then still running each play that he's not involved in 100% like he's getting the ball. So 
you know, like I, I know it's kind of funny. Jordan Mason comes in, gets the ball, comes out. Christian McCaffrey taps him back in immediately. <laughs> but that's what also what kind of shape he is in. And I know he's gotten the label as being a little bit injury prone. But after a game like that tonight in which he's walking out, I'm sure feeling sore, but knowing he's got 10 days to recover, that's another position where I'm just like, God, that 23 is an absolute beast. No, no doubt. Niners don't win this game, not even close without Christian McCaffrey. He was the best player on the football field on the Niners offensive side. Seattle's defensive side all came long. He was incredible. Um, I'm I'm glad you brought up Jordan Mason because as we're watching here with with a bunch of the guys at, at 95-7 the game, everyone's wondering where is Jordan Mason? You know, you got to spell McCaffrey a little bit. You mentioned that one carry kind of midway through the third quarter. You didn't see him again until the last drive when Kyle Shanahan decided it was time to ice the game. Needed a few hard yards up the middle from Jordan Mason. You know, just give me three yards, four yards a pop. We'll get a first down and the game will be over. He ultimately broke one, what, 55 yards all the way down to in, inside the 10, inside the five yard line. Almost, almost went and I know maybe he should have went down after he got the first down and, and not risk fumbling the ball or anything, but can't blame a rookie for trying to get into the end zone. But to your point, I think the Christian McCaffrey injury prone designation that kind of everyone just you know offhand gives him you can understand it because he's had a a couple of bad luck years due to injuries but he's also had games like this where he touches the ball 30 plus times a lot of them and he doesn't really shy away from them you kind of get the sense that McCaffrey's you know a finesse player he's going to catch 10 passes out in the flat and that's going to be the majority of his touches he's not running between the tackles this was a gritty Christian McCaffrey in Seattle. The Niners needed it. He delivered. He was fantastic. And uh, you're seeing why the Niners so desperately coveted him because I'll tell, I mean, I can promise you this. They're not on this seven game win streak. They do not have the NFC West wrapped up if they did not make the trade for Christian McCaffrey. He has been the key to this whole thing. Yes, he has. I mean, 100% number 22 at first and now number 23 uh, here tonight. This is the 415ers podcast. Evan Giddings and Mark Grandy coming at you as always three times a week on the Odyssey Sports Podcast Network, powered by 95.7 The Game. The 49ers get their 10th win of the year, 7th win in a row. They wrap up the NFC West division crown. They secure themselves at least the third seed in the NFC playoffs after beating the Seattle Seahawks tonight up in Seattle, 21-13. to I mean, Mark... I know it's kind of hard to sort of, when we talk about the defense, focus in on one guy because like, there are so many great players, and it all starts with Nick Bosa. But tonight, like I mean, we, we heard it around the station, just the amount of people yelling and using Dre Greenlaw's mm. name. Um, I mean, if you told me that Fred Warner was the best linebacker on the 49ers, I couldn't refute that. If you also told me that Dre Greenlaw was the best linebacker on the 49ers, I couldn't tell you no. That's how good he was tonight. And like I, I like I, I know that Seattle is synonymous in many ways with the Legion of Boom because of the way that they played, the way that they hit. But tonight, up in Seattle, it was a guy in red, white, and gold that made me think about the Legion of Boom, and his name was Dre Greenlaw. He's making a um, a name for himself against the Seahawks. He's obviously been phenomenal all season long, but if you remember back to his rookie year, 2019, of course, you remember the goal line play. I'll, I'll get to that in a second. But the first game against Seattle that year in Levi's, it was a Monday night game. I believe it was around week eight or week nine, and I think it was the Niners' first loss that year. They were, what, 7-0 and or 8-0 to start that season, something like that. Uh, and in in overtime against the Seahawks, Dre Greenlaw had an interception of Russell Wilson down in the red zone, and a, a Seahawks touchdown would have won that game for Seattle. And Greenlaw picks off Russell Wilson and really comes close to returning it all the way to the house for a walk-off pick six in overtime. He ultimately falls short, and then the Niners kicker who they just signed off the street, Chase McLaughlin, misses the field goal. Ultimately, Seattle wins. The rest is history in that game. And then, of course, the final week of the regular season that year, he tackles Jacob Hollister an inch short of the goal line. Niners win. They win the West. They get the one seed in the NFC. They ultimately go all the way to the Super Bowl. That was just as a rookie for Dre Greenlaw. And, and to your point, he was phenomenal uh, on Thursday up in Seattle. This time, 
He he forced that fumble against Travis Homer that that led to the Christian McCaffrey touchdown late in the first half. And I mean, he's just making a knack for leading this team in tackles uh, every single game. He wasn't up there this time. He was tied for the second most. Diamador Lenore, who had a pretty good game, 10 total tackles. Fred Warner and Dre Greenlaw each had eight. But Greenlaw, not only did he force that fumble, he also, you know, got his hands on a couple of passes. He is very quickly becoming one of the best linebackers in football. And it's only because he's playing alongside Fred Warner that he doesn't get the credit he deserves. I think we're finally seeing him get that credit. Not only should he be a pro bowler this year, Evan, he should be an all-proer this year, Evan. He is that good. You do not have as good of a defense without two elite linebackers. The Niners do. And, um, I mean, a, a lot of people kind of toss around, This is the is this the best linebacking core in football? Uh, there is unequivocally no doubt about it now. Certainly, with Dre Greenlaw's emergence this season, there is no linebacking unit in the National Football League that comes close. Dre Greenlaw, Fred Warner, Aziz Shire, Demetrius Flanagan-Fowles as your fourth linebacker is insanely good. This team is loaded, and Dre Greenlaw is a big part why this defense is so good. And that's what makes a dominant defense. It's not just one group being extremely good. Of course, we're talking about three levels, secondary linebackers and the defensive line. But it is having depth and quality at each spot. And I know that they have dealt with some injuries this year. Of course, Emmanuel Mosley being the one that has probably hurt the most, along with Jason Barrett, who came back yeah. and then unfortunately got hurt. So your secondary has taken some hits. Jimmy Ward has been in and out, but he played tonight, made some plays. The defensive line has gotten healthy with Eric Armstead, who is also really good tonight and maybe goes a bit unnoticed with how many gaps that he creates on the defensive line. Nick Bosa does what he does. And again, 15 and a half sacks is uh, that is that is incredible. And he's got, you know, three more games to grab some more. Um, But the secondary with with Ufanga, who also. You know, came up with a forced fumble tonight. I know the 49ers didn't grab it, but, you know, D'Amico Ryans just has so many weapons at his disposal, and they all sort of complement each other. Like, you know, we're talking about the linebackers and Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. They they do similar things, but they're different players, and together, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't put them up with, you know, Patrick Willis and Navarro Bowman, but when you think of those two guys... Two individually great linebackers, but together they cover so much of the field. They hit so hard and they take away so much in the running game that they're they they, they seemingly are two guys, but they play as one. Like that's the way that the Niners' entire defense feels to me is that someone is going to be in a certain spot. It's just a matter of which number pops up, but they're always in the right place and they always have a a a knack for where the football is going to be to the point where. Even if the Seahawks are, I, I know Kenneth Walker had, you know, a, a little dump off that went for a big gain late in the game that turned into that ten yard touchdown to Noah Fant. But the defense for the 49ers, like it, it isn't just that they bend but don't break. Like they don't bend, like at all. I mean, <laughs> they they barely give up first downs and third situations. They put the defense behind the eight ball because they don't allow them to run. I thought Seattle was going to try and use Kenneth Walker a lot more than they did tonight, but they just simply couldn't. One, because they fell behind by double digits early, but two, because the defensive front was able to stop the run with four guys, maybe five. And of course, Geno Smith is having three seconds or less to get the ball out. So on the outside, all you have to do is cover for a certain amount of time. You can press, you can play brat, you can play back. Like they have so many different ways that they can beat you because at all three levels, they have a quality that in my opinion is unmatched this year in the NFL. Yeah, three sacks uh, for the Niners defense in this one. Nick Bosa had one, as you mentioned, to get over 15 sacks. Talanoa Hufunga and Samson Ebukamba, they were really all over Geno Smith all game long, uh, and they made him super uncomfortable. I mean, how many times did the the Amazon broadcast cut to a close-up of Geno Smith, and he is just screaming at someone you know, on his side of things? He was upset, flustered, and the Niners made it difficult on him all game long. And, you know, it's, it's not just about sacks. You, 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 we spend so much time focusing on the sack numbers and it's why Nick Bosa is one of the best players in the NFL, 15 and a half sacks on the year. The Niners of course have only played 14 games. He's only played 13 games. Uh, He's incredible. Um, But they got to Geno Smith way more often than those three sacks suggest. He was pressured 
it seemed like on every other drop back of his, and, and he threw the ball a lot in this game. Geno Smith, against the 49ers being down for much of the game, he threw the ball 44 times. Niners were on him a lot. A quick note on Nick Bosa. He's the fifth player since 2000 with back-to-back seasons with 15 or more sacks. You look at some of the other names, the two Watts, TJ and JJ, Demarcus Ware. Uh, you go back into the 80s, Lawrence Taylor, Reggie White. I mean, these are elite of the elite pass rushers that Nick Bosa, now that he's gaining some years in this league, is putting himself into conversations with. Nick Bosa is not just one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. He is one of the best pass rushers this game has seen. That's how good he is. He's not just good for his generation. He's good across the entire history of the game. He is incredible. He is a game wrecker. And we spend a lot of time talking about the Niners linebacking group. They're the best best duo in the National Football League. That is true. But it all starts with number 97 up front. He wrecks games. He wrecks opponents' plans. And he was fantastic again in Seattle. Yeah, like he's so good that you forget that he had like a drive extending roughing the passer call because later on in that drive, he makes up for it by creating pressure and, you know. That took off the pick six. And yes, you still it just did. kind of brush it off. You're like, ah, Nick Bosa is so good. It's okay. Yeah, in fact, well, people were like, oh, he's, you know, what? Oh, I guess I guess he got called for a hands, hands of the face penalty uh, later on too that looked like a hold. But, I mean, yeah, you, you cannot stop him one-on-one. Uh, and and eventually he's going to become a one-on-one player because like this is where we've seen him take the next step. We've talked about money time for Nick Bosa. Like he, he knows how to pick his spots and he's been unbelievable. Um, but before we hand out game balls, Mark, though, look, I, I know it's it's a party, right? This is a huge win for the 49ers, a huge season for the 49ers, one in which we hope continues to go. Uh, into late January, maybe even early February. Mm. But I did notice one thing tonight, and it was on the offense, and it didn't have to do with Brock Purdy. And it was a little bit, it was something that I, I was kind of sniffing, which was one of the reasons why I thought that McCaffrey would get the ball, you know, 30-ish times, 25 on the ground. And that was the absence of Debo Samuel. And I know that we discussed earlier in the week that, look, you know, you, you won't need him to wrap up the, the division, you'll, but you'll absolutely need him for playoff time. To me, this, day, this game did cement, to me, Debo Samuel's importance because there are going to be teams in the playoffs that are much better at stopping the run than the Seattle Seahawks. Maybe even one next week in the Washington Commanders. Debo Samuel is so important to this offense and what they are allowed to do because when you kind of get pigeonholed a little bit, it, it's honestly what, what Seattle did tonight to, or tried to do tonight to McCaffrey to me is what a lot of teams I thought tried to do to Debo Samuel in a different way as kind of the hybrid back, but the first six weeks of the season and worked sometimes didn't work other times. When you have both of them, when you have Christian McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, this offense can go to another level. And I thought that if Debo was playing tonight, like they they would have beat the brakes off the birds up in Seattle because I just think that the Seahawks were allowed to key in a little bit more on McCaffrey than usual. Uh, And that's also why we didn't see Jordan Mason as much because Samuel probably would have been running the football or at least handling some of the load. I don't know about you, Mark. It was just something that, that I noticed or I guess noticed the absence of. It's it's kind of interesting to think about because you mentioned, you know, Seattle without Debo Samuel is able to focus more on Christian McCaffrey. And, and to the point that, that we made earlier, that hurt them a little bit because they were so locked in on McCaffrey that they let George Kittle escape twice for, for two big touchdowns. Um, but I think I agree with you. I think this Niner offense is still good enough to, to beat a lot of teams without Debo Samuel. This was, it ended up a one score game. The game was not that close all game long and a one score game against, you know, this Niner's defense is probably more accurately a two score game because you just simply do not score touchdowns and convert two point conversions against this defense all that often. Um, but I mean, you're right. You add Debo Samuel into the mix, and and suddenly there's just another electric body that that can make tacklers miss to think about. 
And what does that mean? It means it's going to allow openings elsewhere more often. And, and we saw, you know, Kyle Shanahan scheme up two wide open George Kittle touchdowns in this game. You, you add Debo Samuel into that mix. It's going to make things more difficult on opposing defenses. I will say, I, I like I said, I think on, on our last episode Sunday uh, or on, on uh, Wednesday uh, was that, you do not need Debo Samuel, in my opinion, in the regular season. I think you're going to need him in the postseason, of course. You don't need him now. This offense is good enough without him. Uh, but there there will come a time where we, we talk about money time with, with Nick Bosa. It's money time for Debo Samuel in big moments in the postseason. That's when he's at his best. That's when the Niners will need him. Uh, they will reach another level with him. I'm I, in agreement with you there. But I do not quite think they need him just yet. Well, they won't be able to get him just yeah. yet. It'll take a couple of weeks, but that's it'll be better to have about. him. I'm not. I'm not saying that. But yeah, it's not like they need him to potentially get the two seed. In my opinion, um, no. I think that they are good enough without him. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think a lot of that will depend on how much Christian McCaffrey is used, and I, I don't know how many more games like tonight he can sustain. I think it was just a perfect storm of look. Debo's out. Short week. We're gonna have ten days of rest coming up. Yeah. Um. And it's a game in which our quarterback is unfamiliar with the scenario or situation. Didn't look like it for a lot of the night, but, uh, you know, was unfamiliar and you need a vet to rely on. So I, I think I think we're going we're, we'll probably talk about this more next episode, Evan, I think probably, you know, on, on, on Monday. But I think we are also undervaluing how important it is to have 10 days off now. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, we talked a lot, you know, in the middle of the season when the Niners had their bye smack dab in the middle, perfect spot for a bye week. This is also a pretty perfect spot. Assuming you can get to Thursday and and win that game, which the Niners did, having kind of a mini bye, a half bye at this point of the season is a gigantic leg up as they try to catch the Vikings for the two seed. We'll talk more about that, I'm sure, in the future. But it is, it's it's nothing, you can't ignore it. I think it's going to be important for the 49ers. No, no, definitely not. All right, as we move on to uh, our game balls, Mark, I mean, I, I guess you could look at the defensive side of the ball and maybe, maybe pick, you know, a couple of guys. But but to me, offensively, it, it really just comes down to two. And I guess the question is, do you want to start first and which one do you want? I'll let you start first and uh, you can you can do your victory lap with, uh, with uh, Mr. McCaffrey. All right, Mark, I'm going to get braggadocious here. I told you, I freaking told you on Wednesday that Christian McCaffrey, and in fact, I know I framed it as a bold prediction, but I think I started out by saying I don't really think it is because I didn't. Christian McCaffrey was destined to get the football on the ground 25 times or more. This is why he deserves the game ball, because the guy was an absolute maniac tonight on the offensive side of the football. 26 carries, 108 yards on the ground alone. That's 4.2 yards per carry where the defense knows that they have largely nothing on the other side except for number 23 in white, red, and gold. Plus, you get him the ball out of the backfield. He catches six of his eight targets for 30 yards. It was nothing crazy. It was nothing explosive outside of a 23-yard burst in the first quarter, but it was the tone setting. Again, nine of the first 12 plays of the game went to Christian McCaffrey to set up the big Kittle touchdown, to set up all of it. Kyle Shanahan, along with Christian McCaffrey, absolutely put this game on their back. And with a Brock Purdy that was not 100%, that was playing his first game on the road, you need a vet to rely on. You need a game changer. You need a game breaker, as you called him multiple times throughout this episode. It was Christian McCaffrey. He was the best player on the field, not even close. And for an offense in the 49ers that needed, only needed two scores in this game, Christian McCaffrey created virtually all of them by himself. He was the best player on the field tonight, and he gets my game ball. Mic drop. Good work. That was that was fun to listen to. Uh, I yeah, I mean that's the that's the easy go to choice. I mean he was the best player on on the field uh, all game long. 138 total yards. He didn't quite reach the 145 scrimmage yards for a third straight game, but these were hard earned yards. <laughs> these were hard earned yards, and uh, as you mentioned, the defense knew it was going to him, and he was still able to be effective and efficient on the ground. So fantastic pick there. Before I uh, explain Brock Purdy, because he deserves a game ball, I do think that Mooney Ward deserves a shout-out on the defensive side. We talk a lot about Dre Greenlaw and some of the mm. others 
Uh, Mooney Ward was good. Uh, he was matched up with DK Metcalf for most of the night. Metcalf did have seven catches, but 55 yards, less than eight a catch, longest for 13. He is a game breaker on that side of the ball for Seattle. He did not hurt the Niners that much. He did not have that big play for 35 yards. He didn't get into the end zone. He didn't extend too many drives. Uh, Mooney Ward did a fantastic job against him. So I wanted to give him a shout out, but you can't go into Seattle with a rookie quarterback, have him perform like this and not give him a game ball. Brock Purdy was really good once again for the 49ers. Uh, again, the numbers don't blow you away. 17 and 26, 217, two touchdowns, uh, both to George Kittle, and he had a big conversion on the ground, just simply not looking like a rookie quarterback. And like Kyle Shanahan said post game, he's never seen a rookie as poised as this guy. He he showed off that poise uh, on Thursday night in Seattle. He was incredible. He deserves a game ball, and he is a gigantic reason because, you know, the other option is Josh Johnson, who was on the street until a week and a half ago. He's a big reason that the Niners' Super Bowl hopes are still afloat. It's Brock Purdy. Well said. Well said. And on that note, that will conclude another episode. A a true I, – I like, I know we get a chance to talk about a lot of victories this year, now 10 of them, but but this truly is a celebratory episode for the 49ers. They're in the playoffs, Mark. And – we're recording this Thursday night. If you're listening Thursday night, I applaud you for being a loyal 415ers listener. But, but this is a rare victory Friday, Evan. Mm. The best possible victory day uh, in the NFL. Victory Friday. Yeah, you. not only do you get to watch stress-free football, but you get to watch stress-free football after a win. So mm. you're Nothing automatically going to have a great weekend. Yeah, and best of luck to all of our listeners in the fantasy playoffs. Kicks off this week. Big well, deal. Well, for 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 some of you, I mean, for for some of us, we have a bye. But for some of you, <laughs> I was going against McCaffrey. Not a good start for me. But yeah, uh, we'll see pray, pray for back. Mark. He's behind the eight ball or the <laughs> the twenty three ball. I guess Brian, if you're listening, I'm going to come back. Don't you worry. Ninety five seven. The game. This fantasy league's heating up, Mark. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Uh, but on yeah. Oh, also, I do want to shout out. Uh, there was um, look, we, oh, we've had yeah. a, a lot of a lot of people that have uh, said positive things about the podcast. We appreciate you. Obviously, this is our first year doing this. Odyssey was kind enough to give us this platform to discuss the 49ers, uh, the ups, the downs and everything in between, which has obviously been a lot this season. Um, so, you know, we appreciate all of those of you who have who have rated the podcast, who have listened to us. And, and Mark, you got a shout out. Yeah, shout out 49er Bill from San Jose, repping the 408, gave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. So if you uh, if you enjoy uh, listening to this, we really appreciate that. But we would love a review, a rate, uh, of course, anything anything that you can help to spread the word, we would really enjoy it. So shout out 49er Bill for giving us a nice five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate yeah, it, I mean, 49er I, Bill. I, I, I don't know if he was listening to, you know, every time I say download, rate, subscribe, please give us five stars. I don't know if he's listening to that or he just likes the content. <laughs> but either way, he obliged us, Mark. So Bill's the man. He is. Bill's the man. We, we appreciate you, Bill. He Bill's the man. Uh, Kyle Shanahan is the man with the plan throughout this season. Christian McCaffrey was that dude today. Big Brock up in Seattle doing his thing. I uh, got dangerously close there, Mark. Dangerously <laughs> close. 10-4. and four, They won the division. The Niners are back in the playoffs yet again. First division title since 2019. And on that note, uh, we will talk to you next week on Monday after a Victory Friday episode on the 415ers. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. 